0: Welcome to Modern Murders, a true crime podcast about murders after the year 2000. I'm your host, Ariel. This is Episode 8 The Murder of Ayla Sarek Auger. This episode is going to take place in the northern part of British Columbia. I usually don't like to venture outside of the United States for my episodes because it's really hard for me to comment on a country or a culture that I'm not familiar with. British Columbia, however, still feels very familiar to me as an American, although there still are a lot of cultural differences. Prince George is a relatively large town in northern British Columbia. Although not officially a capital, it is considered the province's northern capital. It has a population of 86,000 people in the metro area, and it is surrounded by dense forest. Logging is the obvious major commodity here, which is then used in factories. But a beetle infestation nearly destroyed the industry in the 80s and the 90s. Jobs have since switched to education and healthcare. I will be honest here and say that the teens here must be bored. This town seems very small, without a whole lot to do except drink and hang out at the mall on the weekends. Because of this, I would imagine that a lot of people know each other, and they all hang out at the same bars and go drinking on the weekends together, so they're probably seeing each other all the time. Highway 16 and 67 run through the city and continue on into the forest. These highways are still heavily used for logging trucks. The crime rate is a lot higher here than other cities in British Columbia, and Prince George is in the top five list of the most dangerous cities in Canada. The First Nation territory here is the Claytonay, which means where the two rivers join. In Prince George, the Fraser River and the Ndechaco River supply the town's drinking water, and the two rivers meet just outside the downtown area. Ayla Katerina Sarek-Auger was born on December 30, 1991, in Edmonton, British Columbia. She was the youngest of six kids in a tight-knit family. Her family was part of the Claytonay tribe, and Ayla's mom, Audrey, had some issues with alcohol while raising the kids, but she still fought really hard to keep them all together and safe. The kids adored their mother, and they remembered her making quilted blankets for them. They described their mother as beautiful and strong, despite her flaws. They all slept in the same room and depended on each other for support, no matter where they were living at that time. Ayla was 14 years old and she attended DP Todd Secondary School in the year of 2006. Ayla's siblings described her as very sweet and almost too trusting of people. Her nickname by her mom was Sweetie Pie, and when you look at a picture of Ayla, she has really chubby cheeks, a beautiful smile, she's a really beautiful girl, and she has dark hair. I just thought she was the cutest little thing and one of the younger victims of what is going to be known as the Highway of Tears. On Thursday, February 2nd, 2006, Ayla and her siblings, Tim and Kyla, did what any teen in a small town would do. They went out to the mall to meet up with friends. The Pine Center Mall was four kilometers, or two and a half miles, from their home. When they met up with their friends, they were invited to go out drinking that night at a downtown bar, and so they left the mall. Tim didn't want to go out that night and said he would head back home instead. While out drinking, Kyla lost track of Ayla and they got separated at some point, so Kyla decided to head home, hoping to find her sister there. When Kyla arrived home, Ayla was not there, and she hadn't made it back yet. So she decided to wait to see if she would show up later that night. But while she waited, she told her mom, Audrey, that they had both been out drinking and that Ayla hadn't come home yet. As the hours went by, Audrey began to worry because it wasn't like the kids to get split up like this. They always stuck together. And it was also not like them to not tell her where they were. Even if they were drinking, they would still tell her what they were doing, where they were, and they knew that they wouldn't get in too much trouble. It was winter during this time, and it was snowing outside, so Audrey was really worried that Ayla was stranded outside, or that she was at a business somewhere, waiting to get a ride. As night turned into morning, Audrey retraced their steps to the mall, and also the spot they had been drinking the night before, but she couldn't find Ayla. She contacted the people they had been drinking with, and one of the friends said that Ayla was supposed to spend the night at her house, but that she saw Ayla get into a black van and leave with someone else. I don't think this person was known among their friend group, and it could have been someone that Ayla had met at the bar, but when police asked her, she couldn't identify the man or give even a description of who the man was. On Friday morning, Audrey went to the police station to file a missing person's report, but the police told her to wait 78 hours to see if Ayla would call or show up at home. 78 hours is such a long time to expect a worried mother to wait, and I don't think that the officers really understand this. Since she had to wait 78 hours, Audrey got busy, and she and her family put up flyers around town with Ayla's description and her picture. She went to all the surrounding businesses to ask if they had seen her daughter, but she couldn't get any leads. Nobody had seen Ayla. After the 78 hours came and went, Audrey was very prompt in reporting her daughter as missing on February 6, 2006. Police were able to gather surveillance from two gas stations along Highway 16 and saw Ayla on the camera walking alongside the road. A video showed her walking past a Save on Foods on 15th Avenue around 1am and again past the 1500 block of Quint Street. She didn't go into the gas station, but police were able to determine which way she was heading and concluded that she was walking home at this time. They suspected that Ayla couldn't get a ride home from her friends that night and decided to walk home instead. Police were able to talk with friends from that night, and rule them all out as a suspect. One thing I couldn't find was the mention of the black van. I'm not sure if the owner of the van was cleared as a suspect, or if they ever found out who was driving the van. Either way, they had no suspects or leads to go on. On February 10th, 2006, Ayla's nude body was found in a ditch off of Highway 16, and this was 23 kilometers, or 14 miles, from downtown Prince George and near Taber Mountain. She was identified by officers, and also by a necklace that she was wearing that her mother had given her. I couldn't find any reports of her being sexually assaulted, but the way that her body was found leads me to think that the crime was sexually motivated, The fact that she was found nude is very strange, in my opinion, and I think the reason they couldn't determine that she was sexually assaulted was because her body was badly decomposed. DNA could have been very difficult to get off of her body due to insect activity. Her death was caused by blunt force trauma to the head, and her body was visible from the road. She was just feet away from a dense forest, yet the killer decided to lay her body in an open clearing. They made no attempt to conceal her body, and it was very visible from just getting out your car and looking off the side of the highway. So I find it very peculiar that In a lot of other cases, in the Highway of Tears, the women were concealed, whereas this one seemed like they didn't make any effort to try and hide it. So maybe it was an intentional placing of her body so that it could have been found easily, but the police really don't understand why her body was placed so close to the road. Ayla's family had a closed-casket funeral since her body had been so badly decomposed when she was found, and she was laid to rest at Gift Lake Metis Settlement. Unfortunately, Ayla was another statistic of the many women who have been murdered along Highway 16 since the 1970s. Ayla is the second youngest murder victim along this 725-kilometer or 450-mile stretch of road, and it leads from Prince George to Prince Rupert in northern British Columbia. Highway 16 is now referred to as the Highway of Tears, with anywhere of 18 to 83 deaths, depending on who you ask. The First Nations community feels the numbers are a lot higher due to police's lack of attention to some of the cases, and the bodies not being found either. The deaths along this highway are disproportionately Indigenous women. Indigenous women are four times more likely to be victimized than any other race in Canada. Out of the 18 cases that the RCMP recognizes as official deaths along Highway 16, 10 of them are Indigenous. This may seem like the numbers don't add up based on what I just told you, but again... More attention is put on young white women, so their bodies are found a lot quicker because of the quick action and the amount of resources dedicated to those cases. In other cases, the bodies have not been found yet. Some of you may have heard of a serial killer caught in this Prince George area along Highway 16, and he stands out because he was only 19 years old when he started murdering. His name is Cody Lejjibagov, and he was convicted in 2014 for murdering four women. He murdered these women during 2009 to 2010, so this timeline wouldn't really fit with Ayla's murder in 2006. Plus, Cody was 14 at the time, in 2006, and it would have been really tough for him to get from Ford St. James to Prince George. The other known killers were all sentenced before 2006, and they're either still in jail or they died in jail before 2006. I wanted to point out a few cases that I feel may be related to Ayla's murder if there is another serial killer who has not been caught yet. These cases all happened in Prince George, and they are unresolved. Number one, Nicole Hoer was 25 years old when she went missing on July 19, 2002. She was hitchhiking to Smithers from a Prince George gas station. Number two, Mary Madeline George has been missing since July 24, 2005. Her exact age is unknown and little information about her is also unknown, but by looking at a photo of her, she may have been in her late 20s when she went missing in Prince George and she's also a First Nations woman. She was last seen walking to Spruce Lynn Mall. Number three. Beverly Warbrick was 20 years old and went missing in June 2007. Number four. Anita Florence Thorne was 49 years old when she went missing on November 19, 2014. She was last spotted blocks away from where Ayla was last seen on video surveillance. A few days later, her car was found. Number five. Roberta Marie Sims was 55 years old when she went missing on May 6, 2017. A few days later, her car and her dog were found. But since then, none of these women have been found. I also think it's interesting that from the years 2002 to 2017, it seems like there's a gradual increase in age with these women. It could be if there is a serial killer out there that they too are getting older and maybe their victim target might be getting older as well. I wanted to remind you again that Ayla was last seen getting into a black van and the driver was unknown to friends. A lot of these cases are hard to cover because there isn't a lot of information to go off of. The RCMP does not give out the little information that they have about these cases, especially with Ayla's murder, so it's a little bit hard to connect the dots if there isn't a lot of dots to connect. Since Ayla's death, the RCMP made a task force called ePANA, which is still going on today and investigates these murders along Highway 16. Driving along this highway today, you will see road signs warning women and girls not to hitchhike. After her daughter's death, Audrey started participating in a four-segment healing walk to raise awareness of the brutal crimes against Indigenous women and children. The four parts were to signify the Indigenous belief of a four-year healing journey, but for Audrey, she would never be able to fully heal. According to Audrey, quote, I buried myself when I buried my daughter, end quote. The walk started where Ayla's body was found and ended where she was laid to rest. A few years later in 2010, the family had another tragic loss. Ayla's maternal uncle and aunt lost their son, Samuel Auger. On April 28th, Sam was out with a female friend at the Mohawk convenience store and had an argument with her, causing the woman to ask for a ride from a man in a truck. The woman left with the man, and when he dropped her off somewhere else, he came back to the gas station where Sam still was. Sam was upset that the man had intervened in their personal dispute, and he started throwing rocks at the truck. Sam ran away when the truck started moving towards him and chasing him down. The truck eventually struck Sam, causing him to hit his head against the pavement. Sam was rushed to the hospital, but little could be done, and he passed away nine days later surrounded by his family. The driver of the truck immediately went to police to turn himself in, and he was arrested as George Kerr. George Kerr has a record of 11 speeding tickets and one careless driving conviction. He seemed remorseful in court and he claimed that he had no racial bias, but I found it strange that when he reported himself to police, he claims that he referred to Sam as a low-life retard. In fact, Sam was attending school to become a welder and was not known to family and friends to be a troublemaker. George was sentenced to four years in prison for criminal negligence, but according to the augurs, George Kerr was released on probation only after six months of serving his four-year sentence. To them, justice was not served for taking their son's life, and six months was not enough. Sam was 29 years old when he was killed and left behind five children. When the Augurs were interviewed by the National Inquiry in 2018, they referenced that their family had suffered trauma from the residential schools at LeJack in Fraser Lake. Audrey's mom, Jane, was a student at one of these boarding schools, and like many others, she self-medicated her trauma with alcohol. Alcohol dependency is common for survivors of these boarding schools, and I can see why. These schools were extremely abusive, and thousands of children died from neglect or physical abuse. Many times, the schools would run out of food, water, and heat was not provided to students during cold winters. Families did not have a choice to send their children somewhere else, since Canada enacted a law making it mandatory for First Nation children to attend school. Public schools were purposely not constructed near reservations, so 30% of the First Nations families were forced to send their children to Christian led boarding schools funded by the Department of Indian Affairs. While there, the children were stripped of their culture and language in a forceful attempt to assimilate them into Christian society. This period of time is now considered as a cultural genocide, and in 2008, The Truth and Reconciliation Commission was made to raise awareness of the injustices the First Nations communities faced and the trauma resulting from it. Alcohol dependency trickled down to Audrey by her mother Jane, but the healing walks that she did after her daughter's death was a sobering moment for her. She had given up alcohol to face what had troubled her and found clarity in her grief. Sadly, in 2013, Audrey was involved in a head-on collision on Highway 16 and passed away on the same stretch of road where her daughter's body was found. I hope that this twisted fate led Audrey and Ayla back together and they now walk side by side along the highway together. Please keep Ayla in your hearts. Please keep the other women in your hearts as well. So many other women have been victims of the Highway of Tears, but Ayla's story stuck out to me. You can see photos of Ayla and her mother Audrey on my blog and Instagram. If you would like to also see the sources for this episode, you can check them out in the show notes or on my blog. If you know any information about Ayla's death, please call the Prince George RCMP at 1250. 561-3300, or you can call the British Columbia Crime Stoppers anonymously at 1-800-222-8477. Please give the family justice for Ayla. I wanted to give a shout out to all of my listeners. I recently reached a thousand listens for this podcast, and it's truly amazing to me. So thank you so much for your support. A special shout out to those leaving reviews on this podcast. Every review I read and if it's good, great. If it's bad, great. Please give me your feedback. It really helps me with this podcast to make changes or to know of things I'm doing right and keep doing those. So thank you again to those that are leaving reviews.